You're listening to the Accessible God with Reverend Hank Kagan and Reverend Jonathan Campbell. Well, welcome back. We are glad you are joining us for the Accessible God podcast. This is a continuation of episode three. This is part two over the healing narratives. Uh, Jonathan, can you give us a recap of what we heard last week? Yeah, we're going to encourage you to listen to part one if you haven't, but essentially we outlined and talked about the reality that an ancient Jewish healer, his primary work was toward the community and to address their um, fear and anxiety toward the person they had ostracized. And so his his primary work, I say his because healers were primarily men, his work was to ensure that the community saw the person differently and welcomed them back. And so today we're going to show you how Jesus did that in actual healing narratives in scripture. All right, so let's continue this discussion. Let's look at some scripture that we often, um, well, well, let's start out with two scriptures that we often use when we're talking about healing narratives. Yeah. And often, let's call them the traditional healing narratives. Right. Yeah, and, and, let's, and let's just be upfront and say that anytime disability is really ever spoken about from the pulpit or often is spoken about from the pulpit is in light of, of some of these healing narratives, right, that come from the, the gospel stories, uh, and specifically yeah. these two that we're about to talk about. The first one is uh, the story from John 9, which is uh, the story of the blind man, and uh and the, the discussion that takes place over who has sinned, this man or his parents. So let's take a look at that through this, uh, through this healing, uh, uh, healing paradigm that you've set up for us. Okay. So John 9, there is a blind man who we are told is blind from birth. That, that tells you that this, this, uh, this condition has been a condition this person has always been a part of. And Jesus's disciples say, tell us, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his, or his parents? Because their assumption, and that's the, that was the community's assumption, is that sin and disability are saran wrapped together and can only be understood together. Right. And the writer of the Gospel of John here is using their comment to be a foil to allow Jesus to basically critique that cultural understanding. Right. But what's sad is so many pastors leap over that and don't actually set on that because that's a huge part of the text. Okay. But again, this, this, um, this story goes on for most of chapter nine. It's a long story. And yeah. so what we tend to do is, uh, most people get really bored in service if you read a lot of verses. So what happens is people, and I get this, I've done this too. You try to boil it down to nine to seven to 10 verses, because if you don't have a short thing, people are going to be falling asleep and they're going to, but the reality is the writer wanted you to see this in full context. Right. So what happens is we have a tendency to focus on the story. Jesus heals this man. Uh, at first, uh, it doesn't take. Um, he comes back again and does it again. 
uh, he has a ritual there. You know, he uses mud and the and the man's eyes spit in mud. That was a ritual. That was what we talked about. That was a ritual. It was done so that the larger community could see something was happening. Right. That was important for them to recognize. So, um, but the parts of the story we rarely talk about, but we need to talk about, are the cultural parts of the story. Right. We talked about the fact that Jesus's primary work was with the community. So um, we usually completely forget the debate that happens between the Pharisees and Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. Right. And we also almost always forget the fact that because Jesus has healed this man, he now feels like he has a place in the community. And we know this because he is willing to stand up against the Pharisees. And when they are complaining about Jesus, and when they want to act like Jesus hasn't done anything important, he stands up to them. Right. He is not standing up to them before his healing. He's just not. Right. He is an, an a unimportant entity. He is non-human. But this healing has given him agency has made him believe that he has a place in the community. And so he is willing to use his place in the community to defend Jesus. And that is rarely an aspect of the story that is talked about at all. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, you know, you even have that part there that uh, when, when they go to his parents and they ask him, like, hey, what... Uh, who, uh, who healed this man? And, and his parents yeah. are like, well, I don't know. Ask him, right? Yeah. And, and some would say, well, you know, read that it, as his parents are, are um, afraid of the Pharisees and they don't want to be put in the middle of it. So they're, they're putting him out there on his own, right? But you also could read it like, I don't know. He's, he's, a, he's, a, person, he's a person who has agency on his own. Ask him uh, yeah. who, what happened to him. Yeah, and you see in this in the story something that we the pastors rarely talk about is the healing has transformed the community. Right. And that's the whole point of Jesus's work, is that the uh, healing is going to transform the larger community because it requires the larger community to reframe how they have seen things. Right. I, I use that metaphorically, but allow them to have conversations and and change how they look at things. And so again, this story, the primary change here is actually with the community, not the man who was born blind. Right. Well, let's move on to uh, another traditional healing story. And yep. that is the story of the paralytic that yep. uh, is, uh, is uh, lowered through the roof of the house in which Jesus yep. is has the has the gathered crowd and in this story uh, can can be found in three of the of the gospel stories the one I often think about is is Mark 2 uh, you know yep. it's a fairly fairly short story but I you know this is as a as a paralyzed individual myself this is one that I always connect with on an individual basis it's, uh, it's, it's in Mark 12 right think it is uh mark uh am i thinking wrong um i think it's mark 12 but um otherwise you can you can google it yeah <laughs> um but yeah the the um it's mark the 2 i just looked it up i'm sorry mark 2 yes 
Okay. Oh, sorry. Bar two. I apologize. Yeah. Um, so um, why it's important to use Mark, I think, is uh, most scholars believe it's the earliest gospel we have. Right. So this is kind of the earliest version of this story. Okay. Usually you will hear pastors either talk about the amazing faith of his friends, which isn't bad, but we'll talk about why we need to unpack that more. Or they'll talk about Jesus's discussion about sin. Right. Um, and that Jesus said, uh, as the man was lowered down, the story, if you don't know it, is basically Jesus is healing and has, and has um, you know, garnered such a reputation that people have uh, kind of come in from all around. And the house he's, he's doing his preaching and healing from has been overwhelmed with people. And so this group of, I think it's four people, uh, bring their friend who is paralyzed and they want to try to get him healed. Uh, and they're viewing it as a context of curing, um, but they wanna get him his, his issue addressed. Right. And they can't get to Jesus because the, the house is packed. So they climb up to the roof, take the roof apart and lower their friend down in to uh, right in front of Jesus. And uh, we won't get into all the issues of construction and all that, but that's how the story goes. Right. right? And um, Jesus, as the man is being lowered, the text says he saw the faith of the men. Right. And he says to the man being lowered, um, you know, don't, don't, your sins are forgiven you. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees, and usually in the Gospels, the Pharisees function as a foil for Jesus. And what I mean by that is they're kind of viewed as the bad guys that, that allow Jesus to lift up a larger point, right? Right. So the Pharisees say to themselves, how can this man talk about forgiving sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus hears them and says... Uh, well, just to prove to you that I have the power to forgive sins, I'm going to heal this man so that you might believe I actually can forgive sins. Basically saying without, usually, we usually don't unpack this, but Jesus is saying right there in that statement that disability and sin aren't linked. Yeah, exactly. Aren't necessarily linked, right? Because he forgives the man's sins, but he does not cure him. Right. We forget this all the time. Right. He, he, he looks at this man and says, what you really need help from is uh, forgiveness of sins. What, what's really important is, is uh, forgiveness of your sins. He doesn't even view in a, in, a, in a profound way, he doesn't view this guy's problem as his disability. Right. He views this guy's problem as his sin. And so this guy isn't actually... He, cured he's his sins are forgiven but he's not cured but so that the community will actually recognize jesus's authority from god he goes you know what you got to actually see something so i'm going to actually uh, physically cure this guy so you will actually believe i have authority from god right and, and when i look at this story it's crazy to me because he doesn't do that 
he doesn't cure the man of being paralyzed for the individual. He does it for the crowd. Yes, he does it for so that the crowd. He he believes these four guys and this guy who's paralyzed understand. They get him. They believe in him. He's doing this whole healing for the community. Exactly what we made we are we're saying is the legitimate main goal of a healer right he is, we actually have a text that is agreeing with us and shouting from the rooftops again no pun intended. <laughs> yeah but this text is shouting that the healing is not for the individual the curing is for the community so the community might actually change so the community yeah. can be healed yeah. yeah the community needs to be needs to be healed and so Jesus is actually doing this so that the community might be healed. Again, proving what I'm trying to get across. Jesus's primary work as an ancient healer was actually addressing the community. He's healing so that the community might believe. Right. So the community might be changed. Right. But again, we almost never unpack this. Right. The other thing I want to unpack before we move on is Jesus looks at all of these guys and says, your faith will make you well, right? Right. He's, he's saying that the faith of the community will heal us. Mm. He, again, is underlying the fact that what really brings healing is a beloved community. Right. A community that loves you, embraces you, cares for you. These men cared for this guy. These men loved this guy, and that community of love was what really healed him. Right. But again, we almost never talk about it. No, no, uh, we never, we hardly ever talk about that. We always, yeah. we always think about uh, the uh, the individual and and sin and and all that. No, that that's good stuff, Jonathan. Well, now let's look at um, a, a couple of stories that traditionally we would not think of them as healing stories uh but uh, but jonathan you would say that you, you would say that they are right oh absolutely they are absolutely healing stories if we recognize that healing is larger than curing we recognize that healing is primarily uh the healer is primarily the bridge back for the person that's been ostracized back into community and well-being they are absolutely healing narratives in every sense of the word. Um, the first one we want to start with is the woman at the well. Right. Uh, it's a story in John 4. Again, it's really long. And so you almost, I can guarantee you, uh, you've never heard this whole story read in a church because pastors are constantly worried about losing their audiences. So... Um, this story is this woman, it starts off with uh, Jesus is going through Samaria. And really quickly, Samaritans were bad guys for Jews. And they were, and I'm sorry, I can't unpack this, but they were viewed as people that had turned away from Judaism. And so Jews would avoid them and viewed them as bad. That's why it's a shocking story. Again, we never talk about this. It's a shocking story that Jesus calls a Samaritan good, right? Right. So anyway, Jesus decides because Jesus is Jesus. He's going through Samaria. He's not going around adding hours to his trip, days to his trip. He's going to go through Samaria. 
and he comes to a important well, a well that was believed to be actually dug by uh, Jacob, which was a patriarch, a founder of Judaism. And he's there at noon. And we are told at the story that this woman, the Samaritan woman is coming to the well at noon. Mm-hmm. Well, we kind of could easily gloss over that, but it's important to pull back. Think about people, unfortunately, still have to go travel some miles to get water. Usually it's women back then and today. It's usually women. Right. And, but because think about all the things you need water for. You know, I know that most of us can turn on a tap, thank God, we and water get water. But you need water to, to, you need water to drink. You need water to clean. You need water to cook. You need water to do everything. Yeah. So, it's not hard for us to understand when do people go to wells? They go to wells in the beginning of the day, in the early morning, because they gather all the water they need to cook, to clean, to, to drink at the beginning of the day. That's when you go to a well. So why on earth is this woman coming in at noon? Why are you coming at the hottest point of the day? There's only one reason. She's coming at the hottest point of the day because the community she was a part of has pushed her out. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to be feel ostracized. She doesn't want to carry that weight of shame that they put on her. So she's decided, I'm going to make it the first part of the day, even though it's going to be a struggle. I'm going to come at noon because no one's going to be there at noon. And then I don't have to deal with looks and stares and horrible comments and backhanded statements, I can just get my water and and do it in peace. Right. So right there, that tells you that that statement by the writer of John that says she came at noon, it tells you she was ostracized. She was marginalized. She was pushed out of the community. So she comes at noon and there's Jesus. And they start having a, a dialogue, a talk. She, uh, she off, she's amazed he's talking to her because again, a man, a Jewish man should not be in Samaria and should not be talking to a Samaritan and should definitely not be talking to a woman. Right. Especially around a well, because if you, if you study the Hebrew scriptures, there's a deep tradition in, um, Jewish, uh, the Jewish story that you get married and you find your betrothed at wells. So, a man talking to a woman at a well would be seen as forward, would be seen as um, relational in terms of uh, intimacy, um, uh, an attempt by him or her to have take this to a sexual uh, marriage relationship. That's why marriage comes up in the text seemingly out of nowhere. So Jesus says, basically, I'm the living water. Uh, you know, you, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't be asking... Uh, for to get me some water from the well, you would be asking me for the the life of water I can give you. Because he's essentially saying, if you understood who I was, you'd be asking for healing. You wouldn't be asking to get get me water, but to give the water of healing I can give you. The, right. the healing where, I can give. It's you. where he says, any everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give yeah. them will never thirst again. Right. Yeah, And so through, through her conversation, she comes to believe he is a prophet. And so she then asks him, and we're running through the story really quickly, but she asks him, okay, you're definitely a prophet. So tell me who I should be, where I should be worshiping. The Samaritans believe that they worshiped at the right mountain 
and they they offered sacrifices at the right mountain to God, and they believed that the Jews were doing it wrong in Jerusalem, and the Jews believed just the opposite, that they were worshiping in the right place, and the Samaritans were crazy and shouldn't be doing what they were doing. And so this mountain of the Samaritans are, is literally right next door to where, where this well is. So the woman's saying, hey, I know you're a prophet. So should I be Jewish or should I be Samaritan? That's what she's asking. Right. And he goes, you're missing the point again. He goes, soon people of faith, soon people uh, of true faith will be worshiping in truth and spirit everywhere. They won't be worshiping at this mountain or this mountain. They'll be worshiping everywhere. So she is so energized. And again, one thing you always got to keep in mind with scripture is scripture uh, cuts a lot of information out because it's just about the kind of nugget of the story. So we can imagine that Jesus had a long discussion with this woman through engaging her and treating her as a human being and treating her as having value and treating her as a valuable human being worthy of God's grace and love he empowers her to see herself differently and what does she do she runs back into the community like the man born blind she now believes she has a right to be part of the community that she can give something of worth back to her community and she runs to her community and evangelizes and brings and this is where part of the story because it's so long we usually don't talk about she then brings people back to Jesus. She becomes an evangelist for Jesus. But again, she has been given agency by Jesus's healing. And now she sees the community differently and she believes she should be part of it. And because of what he's done with her, the community sees her differently. And then when they come back to engage Jesus, they are changed in terms of how they see her completely. She becomes a valuable and essential member of the community. Well, well, well. <laughs> a story of community healing once again. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, move on to our last non-traditional healing story. And let's yeah. talk about that story that we have that catchy little children's church song from Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. <laughs> sorry for that we are not singing okay so that's uh it's it's unique to uh Luke's gospel it's in Luke, uh, Luke 19 and Jesus again is in a place he shouldn't be and uh, let's really quickly go through, because I, I know you, I, we want to make sure we value the listener's time here. Um, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Tax collectors were bad people in the ancient world, in the ancient Jewish world, because they were people, they were Jews that decided to work with the Romans. So the people that were being, people that were oppressing the Jewish people, these were people that were working for the Romans, and the Romans encouraged them to take more money than they needed because the Romans knew with money comes loyalty. They knew that if you took more money than you should be taking, then you'll be loyal to the Romans. You won't be loyal to your own people. So tax collectors were hated, hated. I can't say it strongly enough. They were hated by hated. Jewish people. And so Jesus is coming to the community 
and Zacchaeus wants to find healing. He wants a way back into the community. He wants to be bridged into the community. And the writer of the Gospel of Luke tells us, he tells us very clearly, he wasn't welcome to the community. Why? He can't get his way through the crowd. They won't let him in. Jesus is gathered a crowd around him, and all his Jewish brothers and sisters are going, you're not part of me. Get, get out of this. They keep pushing him out, right? It's, a, it's literally a community pushing this guy out and keeping him out. And so uh, Zacchaeus is so desperate, he climbs up a tree. That's the part of the story. He climbs up a tree. We focus on the fact he's short. We completely miss that the community is pushing him out and keeping him out. <laughs> so, so he climbs up a tree and Jesus sees him and Jesus engages him and Jesus teaches, not Zacchaeus, Jesus teaches the crowd that they should see Zacchaeus as a brother. They, yeah. should see G they should see Zacchaeus as a member of the community. He goes on about, hey, he's a brother of Abraham, just like you and me. He's a son of Abraham, just like you and me. He literally heals. We, again, mind blown, we have Jesus healing the community so he can access Zacchaeus. The community has pushed Zacchaeus out. Zac uh, the community has kept Zacchaeus from being part of uh, getting to Jesus. And Jesus is healing the community, so they'll let Zacchaeus get to Jesus. Right. And then, of course, then Jesus makes it very clear to the community, I'm actually going to go eat with Zacchaeus. I'm going to go to his house. He's giving Zacchaeus value here and helping the community see him differently. And then, of course, the uh, story ends with Zacchaeus being transformed by this and saying to Jesus, I'm going to give back all I've cheated from people. I'm going to actually give back more than I've cheated from people because I want to be a blessing to the community because you have welcomed me back in. Yeah. You know, good stuff. Good stuff. So Jonathan, what can we take away from these stories for the church today? How should the church uh, change what we're doing in regards to the idea of healing or change our mindsets? Man, we don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, 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 Maybe give us just a nugget, and then when we come back for our next episode, yeah. we'll talk about this more. Absolutely. Um, first of all, we have to ask forgiveness. We have to recognize we have completely misunderstood Jesus's work as healer, and we are not doing what he has called us to do. That's yeah. the bad news. We have completely missed this because we have made our focus, helping the people that are marginalized, but keeping them on the margins. And we have avoided turning around to the community and actually engaging the larger community and saying, you need to be healed. You need to recognize that you have pushed a brother and a sister, a child of God out of your midst. You need to be healed. You need to bring these people back and you need to recognize that you are not the same without them. And so we completely do it wrong. I mean, that's, I mean, that's as strong as I can put it. We completely invert what Jesus was doing. And we don't engage the community. We, we go to at our best, we go to the margins and meet those people's needs, but we don't turn around because it's too difficult and have the difficult conversations of, 
brothers and sisters, people in the mainstream, you need to be healed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that community part of inviting them into community as well. And I love about that Zacchaeus story. It's, it, I think that's an important uh, thing that, uh, that our, our clergy within our churches could take, take notice of is that Jesus led by example when he went and he had uh, when he went and had dinner with Zacchaeus, right? And and he was he was the first one that was going to be in community with Zacchaeus, and that's something our clergy need to recognize is they need to lead by example also in making sure that people with disabilities are part of community. He was willing to be talked about as a friend of prostitutes and sinners. He was willing to say, I'm going to go out to the people that you have marginalized and you can make fun of me and you can deride me, but that's where God wants me to be because they are not sinners. They are not vile and evil. They are brothers and sisters that need to be part of us because without them, we are not complete. Yeah. And yes, the first thing you can start with, lay and clergy alike, is to recognize to follow Jesus requires you to recognize that people are going to make fun of you people are going to marginalize you because of the work you do they're going to say you shouldn't be with those people but those are exactly the people you need to be with because you've got to learn their story to be able to turn around and heal the community yeah well folks once again we have been blown away by the knowledge of mr or no not mr Reverend Jonathan Campbell, I, for one, feel a little bit healed. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for joining us. We, uh, we're glad that you were a part of this, uh, this episode, episode three, and uh, we look forward to having you back for episode four.